When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey Outward listeners, happy Pride Month. Producer June Thomas here with some news. Once again this year, we're going to celebrate Pride by providing our wonderful listeners with some extra queer, extra episodes. This year, we'll have fresh episodes every Wednesday. You'll still get the biggie on June 21st with Pride and Provocations, The Gay Agenda, all the usual fun, but we'll also provide short bursts of rainbow content throughout the month, including some really wonderful conversations with authors and activists and thinkers. And on Saturdays throughout June, we're also going to share some great LGBTQ content from Around the Slate Podcast Network. Today, it's an interview that I did on Working Slate's show about the creative process. Back in November 2022, I spoke with Harper Bliss, who is a prolific author of lesbian romance novels. We talked about the secrets of her productivity, what it's like to work with her wife, and the joys of writing queer love stories. Take a listen. Harper Bliss, welcome to Working. Thank you so much for having me. So how many books have you written? Well, I have um, 37 published, but I've written a few more. Some of them ended up in the trash, obviously. (laughs) So I've written a couple. So over what period did you write 37 books? Well, I started writing in 2011. I published my first book in 2012, early 2012. So... Coming up to, what is that then, 11 years, I guess. Wow, that is a prodigious rate, more even than I I thought. I'm really determined to learn the secret of your productivity. So I hope that will emerge over the course of our conversation. But I'm curious, do you feel like a very productive writer? Well, definitely not always. <laughs> I, th- I guess when it comes to writing, like just pure first draft writing, I am pretty productive because, you know, once I start a book, I'm in it and I just, I go, right? I just, I need to finish it. But of course, I don't just write, right? There's subsequent drafts and there's all the other stuff. And um I could also compare myself because I say I've written 40 books, but there are many, many, many romance authors who've written many more in in this time span. You can always do more, but in general, I do feel quite productive. Yeah, I can't complain. No, no, absolutely not. Uh, How many have you written this year alone? I'm now writing my third book this year. I always aim for four. Four is like the magic number, but... I don't think it's actually happened that I've written four, but I like to have the goal. Yeah, but there's always something, right? Life uh, always gets in the way. So, but th- I'm good with three. So, yeah. So, the way that I found your books was I got caught up in 
one of the series. Um, you have a couple of series uh, that I'm aware of. There may be more. Um, there's this series called the Pink Bean series. There's 10 novels mm-hmm. in that. Uh, that name comes because uh, these books are centered on the Pink Bean, which is a chain of independent coffee stores in a neighborhood of Sydney, Australia. Uh, and then there are five seasons, um, which are five books in, in a series called French Kissing. They're set in Paris, France. Um, how did you come to write those series? And did you know from the start how the storylines were going to interact and develop? Well, so f- I wrote French Kissing first, right? Like, actually, I started French Kissing like 10 years ago, I think, like when I first started out. Wow. So um, back then, for self-publishers, the advice was write in a series. So I said, well, I'll do that. <laughs> and uh, so I did French Kissing first, and but... Um, I'm not a writer who plots out her story because that doesn't work for me. I mean, there, there are basically, I mean, there are many types of writers, but in general, broadly speaking, there are two. There are the mm-hmm. ones who plot everything out, and then there are the ones like me. They call them pantsers or like right. fly by the seat of your pants or, or discovery writing, and that's what I do. But of course, I mean, I have my characters, right? Because like, my books, they are very much... Um, character and um, conflict-based. I mean, for French Kissing, actually, it's a bit different because that was actually a bit more plotted because I had four main characters to start with. Mm-hmm. And that's a bit more difficult, right? When, when you just have two, like in your regular romance, when you just have two characters, I mean, you know how it's going to end. and <laughs> right. There's going to be some conflict along the way. But for French Kissing, actually... For those four characters, I did need to do a little bit of plotting, and I did. But since then, I haven't really plotted out all that much because it's it's not how I write. How I write is that I basically I I read my own book as I'm writing it, which is a lot of fun. But that's yeah. also, I think, why I, I can write pretty quickly because I need to know what's going to happen next. <laughs> so th- that's the yeah. trick. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm honestly shocked to learn that, though, because... Just the idea of pantsing and being so productive is is it's just mind blowing to me. But so French kissing, you know, for those who haven't read them yet, I highly recommend them. Uh, as you say, it's four friends. Or the, the the cast grows over the the course of the series, um, but it's set in a world or a, a number of worlds. Um, the pink bean is very interesting because. You know, as I said, there are these locations. Uh, it's not just the coffee shops, but there are certain locations. But the cast really, um, you know, weaves in and out. How did those develop? How did those uh, come forth into the world? Yeah, so after French Kissing, because French Kissing, you, you need to read the books in order. There's no mm. other way. But for yeah. Ping Bean, I wanted to uh, write more like standalone. Like if someone started at book three, that would be okay. Although it is recommended to read them in order. It's more fun, right, for the reader as well. But because uh, characters from previous books always pop up in the next one. But you don't really have to read them in order. And then... Usually when I'm writing, like when I was writing book one, I was already thinking like, hmm, who shall book two be about? So then uh-huh. I could already start thinking about it and like maybe putting in some some little teasers for the next book just to, you know, to increase um, 
read through after book one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, that is my standalone uh, series, Ping Bean. So it's it's a different way of approaching it. And also it's easier than writing French Kissing because by the end of French Kissing, I mean, I, I hired a reader to like write me a Bible, make me a Bible of everything ah. that, ha- we call it a Bible, yeah. it's like of, of everything that happens and all the characters and you know who they sleep with and things like that because right. I can't remember all of that after all these books right so that that's wow. actually uh that has been very helpful with my productivity and this this person shout out to Claire by the way she also did it for the ping bean so now if I want to start on a new ping bean book which it's been a few years right I can just go through this it's a huge excel file I can just search in there for Characters like, for instance, just like a small thing, like the eye color of a character. Oh my god! I can't remember that, but um, yeah, this woman she wrote that all down for me, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> wow! So, what kind of things are in there? So, the eye color, uh, who slept with whom? Yeah, and also per character, um, what they go through in each book. And sometimes it's a small thing, sometimes it's a big thing, like their profession, like all their all the details, really, of, of the character that she can find. Amazing, amazing. Otherwise, I, it wouldn't be possible, right? Yeah. I think a secret of productivity is also uh, hiring some help, definitely, if you can. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to know, you know, what kind of help you get. Um, I just want one more question about the pink bean. You mentioned that they're standalone. Did you write them kind of, you know, as I say, I believe there are 10 in that series. Did you write them kind of one after the other? Or did they kind of come out of order? Were other books being published in the middle of that series? Yeah, yeah. I, I think maybe one and two I did after each other, but I did write other things in between just, I don't know, to mix things up a bit. <laughs> and also when, when you've done 10 books in a series, it's, you want to go somewhere else, so to speak, right? It's just like, I want to write something else. And also writing a standalone is always going to be a bit easier than writing a series. I mean, they both have their pros and cons, right? Because when you write a series, you could, it's like seeing old friends again in your characters and you already have, you don't have to make everything up from scratch, but you also have to stick to what you made up before, which sometimes can be annoying. But, yeah. Um, and I'm sure that like me, people, the French kissing books, I've listened to them, but I, I listen to them kind of one after the other in very mm. swift succession. So if there'd been, you know, a, a continuity error, I'm I'm pretty sure I would have been, you know, aware of it. Uh, I didn't quite experience the pink bean boots in that way, but uh, it's super interesting the way that a reader uh, experiences them compared to the way that you create them. It's It's not the same. No, no, it's not. Most of your books, as you mentioned, are romances. Uh, They have a kind of an expected structure. Do you think in terms of the beats of romance when you are, well, pantsing, when you're writing? I do. I I write to the three-act structure, right? Like I know by which chapter, for instance, my characters, they have to have their first kiss. And I know when they have to have their big fight. And then I know how many chapters I have for them to make up because the ending is always the same, right? That that yes. makes it easy in a romance. It's always, there's always a happily ever after. So I do definitely uh, have that 
in the back of my mind, I also try to write down a couple of things, right? But it's mostly, it's just like act one, they get to know each other, act two, after the kiss. So, <laughs> I mean, after 40 books, I think I've pretty much internalized the structure. Yeah. So, but yes, a romance does need to have like basically the same things uh, every time. But then it's the characters, of course, that, that make it very different from another book. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't disagree that they're romances, but one of the things that I have really enjoyed about your books is the role that friendships play in them, um, you know, as well as the love relationships. There are always, uh, especially in the series, I think, but uh, generally speaking also, in the sta- at least in the standalones that I've read, there's always a strong friend relationship for each character. Is that something you self-consciously program into your books? Yeah, I guess, because, well, obviously, you can't just have your main characters, right? They need a sounding board and they need someone to, like, drink too much wine with and stuff like that. (laughs) And uh, that's why I always have, like, good friends. But I think for French kissing specifically, I started writing... Um, when my wife and I, we moved to Hong Kong for, mm. for her work and I didn't have a job, so I had plenty of time to write. But also we arrived in Hong Kong. We didn't know anyone. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not generally a person who, who makes friends easily, like at all. But in mm. Hong Kong, I don't know. It was so easy. And we made this like really great group of friends. And when you're away from home, your friends, they become your family, right? Like your yeah. surrogate family. And I think I was really like, I think that really inspired me when I was writing uh, French Kissing. And, well, I've been doing it since. But Yeah, and and also, again, you know, this is something that, yes, this is in every, hopefully in every book, but definitely in every romance, you know, there's this emphasis on communication. You know, the conflicts that people have are frequently about a failure to communicate or a a difficulty communicating. And... Mm -hmm. To me, your books um, are very kind of, they almost have a message of, you know, please learn to communicate. Uh, Again, to what extent are you aware of conveying that message in your books? I think I'm pretty aware of that because, well, it's usually my characters, the communication, as you say, it's the only way for them to get out of their conflict. There is no other way. So they always have to talk through everything very extensively and then it's like this big cathartic moment right but I will say that this is much easier to accomplish in fiction than in real life because (laughs) I am one of I'm really bad at communication myself so I don't know maybe it's like it's my like when I'm writing all these conversations in my book it's like my own personal therapy right yeah the author uh, gets to do some wish fulfillment too this is how it's done definitely definitely. everybody go at it yeah (laughs) We'll be back with more of June's conversation with Harper Bliss. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Now let's return to June's conversation with Harper Bliss. So as I say, I'm a big fan of the, the series. And to me, they I think one of the reasons that I enjoyed them is they had some of the elements of another genre that's that also doesn't get a lot of respect because it typically has or is intended for a female audience, and that is soap operas. Now, I love soap operas. Uh, I like romances. But how do you feel when I call your books soap operas? Oh, I feel great. I love <laughs> soap opera. I love drama. I'm a drama queen, right? That's what my <laughs> wife always says anyway. <laughs> but I said, well, you know, being a drama queen is, uh, is what pays the bills, I say. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and also, I, to what you say, like in, in publishing, romance, in publishing in general, romance is the biggest genre. There are so many, and romance authors I think they keep like a lot of the business afloat of the business of publishing because yeah. people love romance. And when I say people, well, it's probably mostly women because yeah. a lot of men, they just refuse to read books written by women about their mm. loss, I say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But um, 
It's also funny because, I mean, romance, it's about love and it's about friendship. And isn't that like the greatest thing there is, really? Like, we're all so addicted to love, right? So read some romance, why not? And uh, what I've also found, like 10 years in this business, right? Like the romance writers, the indie publishers in romance, they're always ahead of the curve. They're always coming up with the next thing, marketing-wise, I mean, or business-wise. Like, Uh they are smart and uh, they know how to sell their books and they make a lot of money doing it. And ah. to anyone say, I don't know, I don't feel this disparaged at all. I'm very proud to be a romance writer. Also, yeah. it's, it's a really great thing to do. Like I write in, in lesbian romance, which mm-hmm. is, you could say, I think, a pretty small genre. But I make a really good living doing this. I mean, isn't that amazing? And that's romance. I come up with with a story of two women falling in love, and this is my job. <laughs> so how can I ever take offense? I say good for me. <laughs> uh, I would say so, yeah. Um, in addition to being a, a lover of soap operas, I'm also a huge TV fan. Uh, so again, mm-hmm. please know that I mean this is a great compliment. But um, mm-hmm. to me, your books unspool in a very cinematic or televisual way. Um, you know, they're not written like screenplays. You know, they're definitely well-constructed novels. But to me, there's a, a kind of a TV or, or movie structure. Um, and I know you must feel this way to some extent because French Kissing was presented as seasons. You know, instead of mm-hmm. books one through five, it's seasons one through five. And the chapters mm-hmm. are referred to as scenes. And I'd love to learn more about why you made that choice for French Kissing. And um, also, I guess, since now I know it was the first thing you wrote, you know, why you left that structure. Mm-hmm. Well, back when I started French Kissing, the serialized fiction thing, it was it was a thing. It was like really a thing. Like a lo- mm. back then, a lot of, quite a few authors were doing it. So I jumped on it and I said, I'll try mm. it. And it's actually quite a fun way to write because when you set out to write what I call an episode, uh-huh. it's not very long. It's a lot shorter than a book. So when you start, it's much less daunting, right? And then you have the cliffhanger, which, like, you know, after every episode you have a good cliffhanger, people will keep on reading. Yeah. But it's true that I only did it for French kissing because um, it's quite restricting as well. Mm. Because, well, as I said, there's so much you need to remember, <laughs> especially as, as it goes on and there's new characters, but then an old character props up and, oh, what, what did she say again? What did she do? So, right. I think also business-wise, because like by season five of French Kissing, not as many people were buying it anymore, Mm, which mm, I understand. mm. I mean, there's always, when you do a series like that, that you have to read an order, there's, it's not like an actual television series, you know, where where the viewership grows over time. It's a bit different also because, well, you can't always like time it exactly. Like ideally, maybe if you have the new season out, like, Every year or maybe two a year, yeah. I don't know. But I yeah. mean, it's just me, right? It's not really doable. <laughs> so uh, I, right. it, it really was a thing at the time. But I think for a reason, it never really took off. Would you like to be in a TV writer's room or write for TV and in some other context? I mean, you obviously kind of have this, you have a love of television, I know from your podcast that you do. Uh, is that something you would you would enjoy, do you think? 
Well, I love ter- television very much. It's, uh, it's my main hobby. If you listen to my <laughs> podcast, you surely know. Yes. But, uh, but I'm not someone that you can just put in a room with other writers. I, I write alone. I actually mm-hmm. did a couple of co-writes back yes, a couple I of years back. Of those, yeah. I did yeah. one with my wife also, and it nearly ended in divorce. We, <laughs> we can joke about it now. We're still happily married, but yes. it's to let someone into your first draft. That is, uh, I think maybe you can get used to it over time, but it's very daunting. It's very wow. stressful. So I, I really like working alone. So actually, this is like my dream job, right? I, yeah. I mean, obviously, I would love to see some of my characters on television, but I think someone else is going to have to write that that screenplay for me. Yeah, I look forward. Um, you have set series, as I mentioned, in Sydney, in Paris. Some of your books are set in England or have British characters on vacation in Europe. It feels like a really, and I would say unusually broad range of settings. How is it that your settings are so international? Well, I think it's because I'm from Belgium, right? But when I started writing, I lived in Hong Kong, mm. and I knew I was going to write in English. I, my, my mother tongue is Dutch. I wasn't going to write in Dutch or Flemish, as we say, because, mm. I mean, the, the market's a bit small. <laughs> yes. um, also, I wanted to write in English. And, uh-huh. uh, well, for French kissing, obviously, I didn't choose an English-speaking um, country. But when you live in Belgium, France is the country you go to the most. We go to Paris a lot. Like, really, I know the city really well. and. Yeah. It's, it, it just seems much sexier to set my book in Paris instead yeah, of Brussels. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Abroad is always more exotic, right? Yeah. So, uh, but most of my books now are definitely set in the US. And I will say that's also for commercial reasons. Uh-huh. Because most of the readers are in the US and most readers want to... I think they do prefer to read in their own... T- I mean, I don't know this for sure. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Although that being said, I have said books in the UK that have been very popular as well. But uh-huh. um, I think it's because I am not from the UK or the US. Yeah. And I get to choose. So You're right. I choose. And back in... Now, with the, after the pandemic, I, I haven't traveled, but we did used to travel quite a lot. So it's mm. fun to like feature a setting where you've been. Like I've set a book in Thailand and in Hong Kong also. So, mm. Mm. and some readers do find that interesting. Plus, it's it's more um, fun for me because it's not always the same, right? It's like right. to mix it up a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, you. Uh, as you've mentioned, self-publish. Uh, why did you decide to go that route? Doesn't it cut into your writing time and take up bandwidth that could be used for creative projects? It seems just kind of like a lot of work, work. Well, I think there's various reasons because when I started, there weren't that many publishers that would publish lesbian romance. Mm. Like you had Bold Strokes and Bella. But also, mm-hmm. I mean... I had time and I didn't have to work and the Kindle had just come out mm. and there, I was reading about these self-publishers that were doing really well and I said, well, why don't I just try it, you know? And I was very lucky timing-wise because when I released my first books, 
there wasn't the amount of lesbian romance that there is now. There were very yeah. few. And yeah. the readership was hungry already. And yeah. I, I really managed in that short period of time to make a name for myself. Mm-hmm. I think I still benefit from that now. And to go with a publisher now, I, I wouldn't do that because I like to have control. Mm-hmm. And plus, of course, it's a lot of work, but... I mean, I work together with my wife, right? Like, I, we always say I do all the fun jobs and she does all the annoying jobs. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> so we work in, in our company together and like she then maybe has a bit more of the publishing role. And I'm mm-hmm. the, I get to do my creative things, but also I only write in the morning. I can't write a full day, but that doesn't happen. I know uh-huh. there are writers who do this and wow, well, I applaud them, but I can only write in the morning and then it's done. So may I ask what time you start in the morning? I used to start a lot earlier, but no, maybe between eight and nine. Okay. Just regular, regular time. Yeah. Depends yeah. what time I get out of my bed. <laughs> I try to do four half-hour sessions, so huh. that's two hours of writing, and then I'm done. Then uh-huh. my brain says, yep, done. And I mean, of course, in the beginning, I said, I want to write more, I want to write more, right. but now I just, I accept that this is how it is. I know now, right? Ten years, mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. In the morning, I do my writing, and then in the afternoon, I, I, I have a lot of marketing to do. So in the afternoon, I do my marketing, and that works out pretty well. You seem to be quite disciplined about your social media usage I wonder do you have given that you are self-publishing and that you know there is a lot that could be done kind of can you tell me about your philosophy of social media engagement and what you've chosen to focus on I'm not that active on social media I do have a Facebook group and Mm. I feel much more comfortable sharing in the group because it's private right Mm. like people actively have to ask to join I mean, Mm -hmm. anyone can join, but you do still have to ask. It's not the same as like broadcasting on on Instagram, but I do maintain an Instagram and a Facebook page, but that's Uh it. And I I don't post about my personal life because my life is not Instagrammable at all. (laughs) My cat cat is very Instagrammable, but but I I just, I don't want to waste my time pretending that my life is Instagrammable (laughs) because it's not, you know. I sit at my desk, that's what I do, you know. So, and, and then, because right now we have like book talk, which is like huge on TikTok. And everyone, oh, you need to get onto book talk. And I was like, oh my God, I think I'm too old for that. And then I would need to hire someone. But I think, oh, is my readership really on book talk? Yeah. I wonder. Because my characters yeah. are a little bit older. Uh-huh. I don't know. But I yeah. don't spend a lot of time on social media at all. Huh. For me, it's not worth it. I have a newsletter and I do send out my newsletter every two weeks and I prefer to connect that way. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah socials has never really been my thing. I also don't follow anyone on socials. My brain Whoa. cannot handle. That's oh, the discipline. It's impressive. But it's um, not a matter of discipline for me. It drives me crazy. <laughs> I don't want to see that. If I want to know what's going on with my friend, I'll go see my friend, right? I don't have to see it on Instagram. See, to me, I'm a very nosy person, but I'm also very lazy. So just being able to find out what people are doing without actually having to (laughs) go to see them. Oh, it's perfect. It's true. It's true. I do get that. But yeah, I don't know. For some reason, I cannot deal with that. It's good. Um, 
So when I reached out to invite you onto the show, you replied that being neurodivergent, you would need to see the questions in advance because improvisation is a no-no. Um, do you mind talking about how that has shaped your creative process and how you go about uh, your career as a writer and as a, a self-published author? I mean, improvisation in, uh, in anything but writing is, <laughs> is very difficult for me. Give me a piece of paper and I'll, I'll come up with something. But I say no to a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to not, I, when there was something, oh, I have to do this. But now I know I just say no, right? If I don't want to do it or, or if it gives me too much stress, I just yeah. don't do it yeah. because I can. Yeah. But I also think that, I mean, that's just like for marketing. Mm. But for my work, I do think because I'm extremely sensitive like to everything, mm. and I think it makes me look at my characters from every possible angle, and I go through every possible way things could go or what they are thinking. And I think it does give my characters a lot of depth and a lot of emotion because I think I have a lot of emotion in my books, right? And I think that's mm -hmm. what readers really respond to. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure plenty of other non-neurodivergent authors have a lot of emotion as well. But for me, it's like it's like my thing, and I think that that does help me in my writing. And I mean, my, I do write romance, which is fluffy mm -hmm. and happy and happy ending. But it's never just that. There's yeah. always something else. Right? Because, as I said before, like writing is very therapeutic for me. Like I'm always working through something. And they always yeah. say, oh, you shouldn't do that in your books. But I get a lot of response to that. Like readers really appreciate that. So I just yeah. keep on doing it, you know. Yeah. No, I mean, I th your books really stood out to me because I do think there's something a little different there. I mean, there are the elements that, that one expects from a romance novel. But there is, I think, a great understanding of character and kind of pointers, you know, on how to have better relationships. And I think partly that's because there is a broader presentation of kind of, as you said, different ways of seeing relationships and different ways of approaching relationships that, um, yeah, felt very fresh and um, interesting to me. Thank you very much. <laughs> Harper Bliss, I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much for joining us on Working. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview. You can catch a new episode of Working every Sunday and every other Thursday we answer listener questions and provide advice on working overtime. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back with a brand new show in the Outward Feed on Wednesday. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.